You know, the world is looking for peace. They're looking for peace within the nations. They're looking for peace within relationships. They're looking for internal peace. But as Isaiah says, my God says, there's no peace for the wicked. There's no true peace apart from a reconciliation with the living God in which we have peace. And then that peace coming through as we abide and rely on Him. Thanks for joining us for this Monday edition of Equipping the Saints, featuring the Bible teaching of Greg Lundstedt, pastor of Equipping Bible Church in Greer, South Carolina. And Greg, today we'll take a detour from our series in the book of Colossians to look at a subject that I think may make most of our listeners slightly uncomfortable, primarily because we all deal with it. You're talking about worry today. Yes, Dave, you know, worry is, is a common reality for each and every one of us. Now, not every one of us is a worrier, but we are all tempted to worry. Unfortunately, most people don't see worry the way the Lord sees it. Now, in today's message, we're going to explore what the Apostle Paul had to say about worry to a group of Christians in Philippi. And this same truth applies to us today. Our text is Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. Well, thanks, Greg. Now, if you want to listen to today's broadcast again, just download our new free app from the Apple App Store. You'll find today's broadcast, archived broadcasts, as well as more about this ministry and our teacher, Pastor Greg Lundstedt. Now, let's join Greg for today's message. Well, when you think about it, there is much to worry about, isn't there? There's a lot to worry about, right? There are so many circumstances, so many unknown variables, so many things that could happen. The reality is this life is not constant. And certainly the unbelieving world has much to worry about because, you know, we can't control this life. Uh, We can't control our circumstances. And yet the one with Christ understands that he is in control. But yet we at times, for lack of a better word, forget in a sense, practically speaking, that he's in control and we take these things upon ourselves. You know, worry and anxiety are part and parcel for those who don't know Christ. But yet we, as believers, that shouldn't be our life, but sometimes it is, isn't it? We're all tempted to worry. We're all tempted to fret, whatever it might be, when circumstances go certain ways or situations go certain ways. But as we're going to see, this is not the way it should be. And yet, as we as believers are trusting the Lord, the world and Satan offer their tantalizing solutions to our worry problem or anxiety problem. But what is God's solution to anxiety? What is it? Let's turn our Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 4 through 7. And we have come to a portion in our study in Colossians in which we are commanded to let the peace of Christ rule our hearts. We're to be having his peace umpire our every actions and reactions. It is to rule our hearts. And this week as I was sick and saying, what am I going to do on Sunday? How am I going to prepare for this? How am I just trusted the Lord? And really he put on my heart that I should share this in preparation for what we'll see in Colossians where we are to have his peace rule our hearts and we're to have his word dwell richly. And so with that in mind, as we look at the book of Philippians, turn there with me, Philippians 4, verses 4 to 7. I want to share some of the context and then we'll get into the meat of this passage. Paul is writing to the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. He is writing to believers in Philippi from Rome, which he is in prison. 
He's under house arrest, chained to a Roman guard 24-7. This is one of the four prison epistles, most likely written around 62 AD. Now, the Philippian church and the Apostle Paul were very close to one another. And in chapter 1, Paul has already prayed for them and shared his love for the Philippians. And he was thankful for God's past work in them and knew that he would complete the work that he had begun. And we see the Apostle Paul share his circumstances that he was imprisoned, but the gospel was not imprisoned. And we saw his attitude to live as Christ and to die as gain. And that he understood in everything, whether in life or death, he desired that Christ would be magnified. And it's at this point the Apostle Paul turns to the Philippians' attitudes. They were to be united. They were to be humble. They were to be like Jesus Christ. They were to have the mind of Christ. And after giving the perfect example of humility, Jesus Christ, who humbled himself to becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, we see that Christ was exalted to his rightful place, again, as Lord of all. And because Christ is Lord of all, Paul gives this command, therefore, obediently work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you. God's working in you, so work it out. Obey. Then we saw the first command after working in our salvation, to not be complaining or arguing, right? It's the big scourge upon believers, complaining and arguing. We're to be those who are lights in the world. We're to be those who reflect the character of Christ, not the character of non-believers. And then Paul gave three selfless examples, including himself, of those who were working out their salvation in fear and traveling, himself, Timothy, and Epaphroditus. And then beginning in chapter 3, he began to share the warnings of those who would appear to be following the Lord, but leading people astray. Those who were false, those who worship in the flesh, glory in self and rely on their own flesh. That we would face opposition, there are make-believers out there. And with this in mind, we were commanded and motivated to imitate Paul, to press forward to the upward call, becoming like Christ knowing that we are not like the many who set their mind on the earthly things, but we have a heavenly citizenship. Therefore, we need to press on to the upward call. And then Paul summed up these truths in chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown, so stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. And then from this point, he gives some direct exhortations that reveal threats to standing firm in the Lord. One is conflict between believers. He addresses Judea and Syndicate, who are at odds with each other. He exhorts them to be same-minded, to have the mind of Christ, to be in obedience to his word, thinking of others as more important than themselves. And we were exhorted the same way. And the body was commanded to come alongside these women and help them. And then he moves to the final obstacles to faith in him and standing firm, which is worry, which is anxiety, which is the opposite of faith. And we all worry. We all are tempted to. We've all fallen in it. And we're all tempted each day maybe for some things to happen to worry about those things. But we're going to see from Scripture how we can overcome worry. You know, the world has its solution. The world has its solution. And and they say, if, if you have anxiety problems, this is what you need to do. But God tells us in his word very clearly about anxiety. And when he tells us, it is his solution that we need to abide by and obey. Philippians 4, verses 4 to 7. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I'll say rejoice. 
Let your forbearing spirit be made known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What a tremendous passage. What a tremendous portion of Scripture. You know, the world is looking for peace. They're looking for peace within the nations. They're looking for peace within relationships. They're looking for internal peace. But as Isaiah says, my God says, there's no peace for the wicked. There's no true peace apart from a reconciliation with the living God in which we have peace, and then that peace coming through as we abide and rely on him. And so then we have this passage here. Now, how can we stop worrying? Practically speaking, God gives us the answer. God gives us the answer. Notice, first of all, we need to be joyful in the Lord. Now, this is not a phony joy. This is not a phony, baloney, emotional joy that comes through just living it up or whatever it might be. He says, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Now, this word translated rejoice in the beginning and the end of this word is an imperative command. It's a command for us to rejoice in the Lord. You all, and actually, you you don't see this in the Greek, but the Greek is kind of southern. It says you all, literally. It says you all rejoice in the Lord. That's literally what it says. And he says, again, I will say rejoice. Now, again, this command, I believe, flows forward and backwards. You see, if you're not rejoicing, conflict's just around the corner, just like Udi and Syndicate. If you're not rejoicing in the Lord, it also flows forward. If you're not rejoicing, you're going to be worrying, I believe. One of the keys to not worrying is, first of all, having your attitudes right. Seeing the seeing situations properly. Seeing what's going on in the context of your relationship with the Lord properly. So he says here, keep on rejoicing. He said, y'all, keep on rejoicing in the Lord. And again, I say, keep on rejoicing. That's literally the tense it's in. Now you say, wait a second. I saw this command earlier. Chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Now, we know that these Philippians were suffering, that God had ordained, chapter 1, that they would suffer. The same as we know as believers, we're going to suffer for following Christ. Not only do we have the daily trials or the daily issues that we have to deal with, you're going to suffer if you follow Christ. So we know things were not perfectly peachy for these Philippians. We know that, right? And so Paul says, rejoice. But how is it we can rejoice? Notice what he says here. Keep on rejoicing in the Lord. You see, the Lord is our source of true joy. Nehemiah would say the joy of the Lord is our strength. Let me share some verses. And actually, I'm going to start in the Psalms. Go through a few verses in the Psalms. I'm going to start and roll through this, but Psalm 511. But let those who take refuge in thee be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. You know, when you take your refuge in the Lord, he's a strong tower, the righteous run in are safe. When he is your refuge and strength, then rejoice. He is your refuge. Trust in the Lord. Be glad. Psalm 1611, in thy presence is fullness of joy. You know, we live in a period of sorrow and evil. Even the perfect Son of God taken on human flesh in the midst of his sinful creation that had fallen. He made them perfect, but they fell in sin. The perfect Lamb of God 
He was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief from one whom hid their face. Sin brings sorrow. Now, he didn't sin, but other people sin. A sinful world. Grief. But here he says, in thy presence, David writes, is fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. You know, think of that fullness of joy. We have joy that happens every once in all certain situations. We get happy and things are good and maybe sad when they're not. But joy, we see, is connected to the Lord. We know in Psalm 32, when David sinned, he talked about how his body wasted away when he didn't confess, when he was deceitful about it. But then he shares later on in Psalm 32, verse 10, Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. Be glad. We should be the most joyous people. I'm not saying fake joy, phony joy. There's a lot of phony joy out there. I'm talking about real joy, where we think of it. But we have to think about those things. Our mind needs to be set on who the Lord is and what he's done for us. If you're not thinking about what God has saved you from, you're not thinking about what he has done for you and what he's going to do for you, what he's promised, you're not going to be joyful. You've got to be thinking about those things. Psalm 43, verse 3, Oh, send out thy light and thy truth and lead me. Hey, Lord God, lead me, right? Let them bring me to thy holy hill and thy dwelling places, and then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. It's the living God that brings joy. He's our joy, right? Psalm 51, David talks about his being purified and washed me, Lord God, and he says, restore to me the joy of thy salvation. There's joy in salvation. There's joy in salvation when you see and remember what God has done for you in Christ. When you remember that you have been forgiven all your sins and not one is held against you. When you remember that he bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to him. That because of his death and burial and resurrection, we have eternal life. Because of all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through Christ. Tremendous realities. Psalm 71, verse 23, My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to thee, and my soul which thou hast redeemed. And one last one, Psalm 95, O come and let us sing for joy, Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. So then we see joy is summed up in the person of Christ and what he has done for us. And when our eyes get off him and onto ourselves, joy is gone. If you focus on yourself long enough, you're going to be pretty depressed. Because, you know, you may be able to exalt yourself for a while, but you're going to see yourself rightly. It's not a good thing apart from God. We need to focus on the Lord. And we also see that our joy is gone when sin gets in the way. Because when we sin, our relationship with the Lord is broken effectively. We're not separated from him. Nothing can separate us. But our walk is broken with him. One pastor writes, now he again refers to that which is much in his heart, as he would have the saints rejoicing in the Lord. And joy and holiness are inseparable. A holy Christian is able to rejoice even when passing through the deepest afflictions. But a believer through unwatchfulness who has permitted himself to fall into unholy ways loses the joy of the Lord, which is the strength of those who walk in communion with him. I agree with that. So then, we're to rejoice in the Lord. Chapter 3, verse 1. Chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. We're to rejoice in the person and work of Christ as it has been applied in our behalf. Praise the Lord for what he has done, the rock of our salvation. 
So as we keep on rejoicing, we see the focus of that joy is keeping our hearts and focus and mind on Christ, fixing our eyes on Jesus. You see, true joy is not circumstance-related, although we can have joy from circumstance. We can praise God for what he's done. We do. But joy is an indicator of where your relationship is with Christ, like a thermometer. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So then, we're to rejoice in the Lord. If you've got a bad, stinky attitude about life, about situations in your life, oh, this went bad, ah, oh, this went bad, ah, oh, this went bad, ah, ah, well, you've got a stinky attitude, you're not going to be able to be delivered from worry. Worry's just right around the corner. Conflict's just right around the corner. You need to go, okay, you need to see things rightly. Okay, these things are happening, but Lord, I trust you to help me. I know that you're good. You saved me from my sins. I'm such a wretch, but you saved me. You love me. I'm on my way to glory. Thank you, Lord. So we're commanded to rejoice in the Lord. So to be delivered from anxiety, first of all, we need to be joyful in the Lord. Secondly, we need to rest in the Lord. Seems so obvious. We need to trust in the Lord. Look at verse 5. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. At this point, we're given two commands that will enable us to find peace in the Lord. And the first one is to yield. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Interesting command. Now, the NSB puts the word spirit in there. It's in italics. They're saying we believe this is a way to help translate it so you understand it better. But this word forbearance is an interesting word. It speaks of a gentle reasonableness. But we sure don't see that these days. Our society is full of unreasonable people. We don't see gentle reasonableness very often, do we? It speaks of a gentle yielding. It speaks of the willingness to yield and show consideration and gentleness and kindness to others. And that's in the context in the face of unfavorable circumstances or situations. You know, it's easy to yield when things are not bad, but when things are unfavorable, it's much more difficult. Now, this word speaks of the character of Christ. We know that Paul said, I urge you by the meekness of Christ, 2 Corinthians 10, by his meekness. It reveals his character. We know from James 3, verse 17, that this characteristic is a characteristic of his wisdom. But first, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle. God's wisdom is gentle. So the command here is, let your forbearing spirit, your gentle reasonableness, be made known to all men, which is kind of interesting because it's actually in a passive voice. What does that mean? That means you're not actively to let it be known. You're not to try to make your reasonableness known to people. You can't do that, right? It's saying allow it to happen. You see, when we rely on Christ and trust in him, then that reasonableness will be manifest in our lives. See, because he says the Lord is near. That's the key. That's the key, how we're able to allow this to be manifest. Let your forbearing, this gentle, reasonable spirit be known to all men. Let everybody see it. 
Don't let everybody see you get angry and that stuff. We're to set that aside, right? Like a rotten garment, like we saw last time. We're to put on Christ, right? Now, this word, the Lord is near, is interesting. The term near here, I guess, in Greek, speaks of at hand. The Lord is at hand. The words used to speak of the word being near is Romans 10.8. The word is near you. It's at hand. It's in your mouth and your heart. Now salvation, Romans 13.11, is nearer to us than when we believe it's at hand. Revelation talks about the time is near of the coming of Christ. And so what does he mean here? The Lord is near. Well, it's two possibilities. One, his coming is near. It's at hand. His coming to make things right. And we know that's true. But we also know he's at hand. He's here. He's with us. You see, and when you recognize in every circumstance the Lord is going to take care of it, he's going to take care of things if you're wrong, he's going to vindicate you. He's going to take care of every circumstance. doesn't mean we don't speak up rightly at the right time. We see the Lord Jesus perfectly doing that. We see other times where he's quiet. But what we see here is that if you recognize he is near, you don't need to defend yourself. You don't need to pull and grab to your rights. And I, I got to do this, I got to do this. You trust the Lord. He's near. I'm not saying you were Mr. Marshmallow or whatever it is. We need to be strong in the Lord. Act like men, 1 Corinthians 6 to 10. I'm not, that's for men, obviously. The reality is, we're to be gentle. We're to allow that gentleness to be manifest because we know he's taking care of everything. He's near. You don't need to deal with it. He will deal with those things. You know, when you're falsely accused, and that's going to happen, you don't need to defend yourself. Isaiah 54, verse 17, No weapon that's formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue that accuses you in judgment you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication comes from me, declares the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean there's an appropriate time to say, no, that's not true. I appeal to Caesar. What did Paul say? I appeal to Caesar, right? But we recognized, as we see here, as the Scriptures reveal, that the Lord's near. You don't need to be unreasonable and act in those situations in a way that is ungodly. The Lord's near. Let your sweet reasonableness be manifest because he's near. You see, often when we are treated badly or certain situations come up, we're trying to hold on to our rights or whatever it is, guess what? That just feeds right into worry. That just feeds right into it. So then let this gentle yieldedness, the character of Christ, be manifest to all because the Lord is near. That means we've got to be thinking about it. When those situations come upon us, I've got to think about the Lord is near. He's going to take care of this. Lord God, please help me in this situation. Help me to respond rightly. Help me to do what you would have me to do. And Lord, I know you're going to take care of it. I know you're going to take care of it. You might remember this wonderful passage, Isaiah 41.10. I lived on this verse for a while. We need to still live on it. It says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I promise. Don't fear, don't anxiously look about. He's going to strengthen you. He's going to help you. Therefore, you don't have to react to those things. If you've just joined us, you've been listening to Equipping the Saints with Greg Lundstedt. You can hear today's message again by visiting our website, etsradio.org. That's etsradio.org. CDs of today's message or other messages are available at our website as well. And as a part of the ministry of Equipping the Saints... 
All our audio resources are available at no cost to you, thanks to the Lord's provision through the faithful support of friends of this broadcast. To order your complimentary CD, call us toll-free 1-800-596-9144. That's 800-596-9144. If you prefer to request your complimentary CD by email, our email address is contact at etsradio.org. Greg, as we wrap up today's broadcast, what's our takeaway? Well, Dave, our takeaway is simply this. There are some times that we've already lost the battle with worry because we're not rejoicing in the Lord. We're not understanding that He is near and thus yielding our rights graciously by His power and His Spirit. And so with that in mind, we're just beginning our look at worry. So stay with us for our next broadcast of Equipping the Saints. As we close today's broadcast, here's an important message from our teacher, Greg Lundstedt. Hi, this is Greg Lundstedt, and it is my great privilege to study and teach the Word of God and to share it with you each day on this radio station. And as you listen, I want to ask you this question. Has equipping the saints been a blessing to you? If so, would you prayerfully consider coming alongside us financially? You see, your financial partnership with us is so appreciated. So on behalf of the team here at Equipping the Saints, we want to praise our Lord and thank you for your prayers and financial support. Well, thanks, Greg. Now, to partner with us, call us toll-free 1-800-596-9144. That's 800-596-9144. Or if you prefer to send a gift online, our web address is etsradio.org. Well, we hope you make plans to join us again right here for another edition of Equipping the Saints. Yeah.